Hello there. Welcome to the virtual rec room. I am your host. I'm Batman. And this is Back of the Cereal Box. It's like Coca-Cola, Levi's Strauss, Johnny Carson and Mickey Mouse. The first star was James Dean. Helmets Presley and he's still the king. Some things are only imitatable. You can't be that original. Friends and foes, this is Back of the Cereal Box. I am your host, the prophet of pop culture, John Pica. Not Batman. You can call me Johnny. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the Batman. And I've got a very special guest host joining me. He is the infamous one. The one, the only, Mr. Lucas Leverett. The spoon is a tool. They think I'm hiding in the milk, but I am the milk. I wish I could say this nutritional balance is making a difference, but I just don't know. The marshmallows and flakes all roll together in a rush behind the box. Sometimes in the morning, I have to push myself to add the OJ or fruit as I remember everything that happened on the back of the cereal box. <laughs> that was outstanding. I that's thought you'd like that. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a clip. Uh, also, welcome to the virtual rec room, my friend and yours, the host of Drew versus the world, <laughs> Drew Milden. Hey, Drew. Hey, na- can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. It was a still like image a drew for a sec. <laughs> Am I coming out like a robot? Okay. A little bit. What, what? A little bit. All right. Knock, knock. Who's there? Batman's a hippie. Batman's a hippie who? <laughs> That's all I had. Um, <laughs> I leave the drew, have the you shadows. met Lucas? No, I haven't, but I've heard the wonderful things he's been saying. Um, I think he was on a Boba Fett episode, so I'm yeah, a big fan. Yeah. Big fan. Uh, you you stopped in on that one for a second, I think. It's good to see mm-hmm. you. Good to be with you. It's a pleasure. Johnny, Johnny, I brought along an accessory that's very important to this discussion. You can't yes, have it the, is. You can't have the a infamous. discussion about Batman between me and you without this, this uh, almost equally infamous prop. I'm going to lean on this. Yeah, for those of you who are watching who understand what that prop means, bravo on you. Deep, and, cut, deep cuts and Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's fantastic. There's a story there, Drew. One day I'll tell you. <laughs> so for those of you tuning in, yes, I'm wearing the Batman mask for a reason because we are going to talk about the Batman. But before we do that, <clears throat> I have a couple of acknowledgments acknowledgments to make if you liked our theme song that was 
performed by the Murdering Crows. You can get their new album, Four Bad Crows, on Amazon, Google, and Apple Music. And coming up, April 8th, the release of One Night at, a, One Night at the Roxy. Uh, it is uh, being published by Seven Star Press. Finally, finally, this story <laughs> is going to be a standalone novella. And super excited about that. And we want to thank our Buy Me a Coffee supporters, Sharice Collins, Cindy Kemp, Brian Huff, Dave Manginelli, Dave Mattingly, Crystal Raven-Jones, Eli Cash, and your name could be in the empty spot at buymeacoffee.com slash cerealboxpod. That is the best way to support our programming and make sure that we can bring you great quality. Now, I need to warn everybody that there will be spoilers tonight. We are not going to hold anything back. And the first spoiler, Drew, is that the Batman mask does not work in real life. There's no way Batman could fight crime in this because I have zero peripheral vision and I can't see anything from here down without moving my head. So this has got to go. So I, I think I think the 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 matter at hand is because it's skin tight, so it's very flush on the face. So he has a little bit more eye view. That's why he wears the makeup. <laughs> well, even I don't know if anybody saw glasses, that. Was a lot even of without my glasses, it it was it was it was a challenge. So um... <laughs> the deep scientific comparison of a Kmart Batman mask <laughs> to the uh, high tech. You're welcome. So that's why you have to appreciate Adam West even more because he didn't have this high this technology. He just had no. He definitely had more had. like that. <laughs> that yeah, thing was and, almost flat. <laughs> and and you remember Michael Keaton? He he couldn't turn his head. He had the he had to turn his whole body. Which, in hindsight, watching Batman 1989, I kind of appreciate that. It's a little bit charming to me. Mm. That's a good. That's a good way to say it. Uh, okay, here's here's a. I'm gonna give my popular opinion. Ooh, that's gonna last. This, that's gonna last this whole this whole thing. My favorite Batman is Batman and Robin with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, uh, what you call it? Uh, <laughs> uh John, Jim Carrey and yeah. yeah. Well, well my, no, no. Jim Carrey was in the one prior to that. Okay, okay. that's Batman Forever. Yeah. yeah. Where's it's my... easy to get them mixed up. The Schumacher yeah. films are are '90s camp at its peak. And uh... yeah. sorry, Batman Forever is my favorite. <laughs> That's the one with Two Face. When um, uh, I think uh, what's the name play Two Face? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, yes. That's and, my favorite. And, and you had uh, Drew Barrymore as one of the uh, nameless, lineless. Uh, <laughs> what? There's a word for those. Uh, Minions, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Val Kilmer. Did that is indeed really... the politically correct term for what you were desperately groping for. Yes, groping is not the politically term for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Drew. Here's something you need to know about Lucas. Even though he is a raging liberal, he has never been politically correct. I like. I like <laughs> this him already. We're good friends. Yeah, that's one of my my core character traits. <laughs> 
You know what, Drew? I won't uh, I won't hate on you too much because there are some merits in that movie. Actually, now in retrospect, they're way better because they have such nostalgic camp. But mm-hmm. um, I probably don't go more than a month without quoting Two Face in that movie, especially if it's any time I'm working on a project at home and I'm frustrated and I finally get something to work. I'll stand up and I'll say, "Fortune smiles." <laughs> Another day of wine and roses, or in your case, beer and pizza. (laughs) It's a long, it's like a quote that has always stayed with me and served me well. Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones doing his very best Jack Nicholson impersonation. Oh, that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. It's very accurate. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So we're going to be talking about the new Batman starring, uh, Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we dig into this, guys, we got uh, a couple of comments. Uh, Carlin Stewart says, hey, hey, yeah, no side vision. Yeah, none. <laughs> and uh, Adam West showed up and people knew who he was. No announcement needed. <laughs> that is true. He never had to say, I'm Batman. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he couldn't have had a phrase like that. He couldn't have done the, I am the knight. I'm vengeance. I'm Batman. You know, it would have been that you know something like "I'm Gogo in mm-hmm. person." <laughs> I, I, I what, what was some of the other stuff from the time? Um, oh my God, Gogo dancers! What else we got? We got we, we got to get all the tropes out there. Find I, I I love genie. Surfers. I don't know. <laughs> What's that? Surfers. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you remember Batman did the. Uh, the surfing episode with oh, the bat shorts and the shark bat repellent. <laughs> that's that's an obscure, weird word that he could use. I am the tremolo. Hmm. That's it. <laughs> the guitar sound. Not mad at yeah. that. Uh, you know, it, it's it's cool that all these different uh, iterations can be available to compare. Um, it's 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 another time when it's good to be us at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Like. We at 15 didn't know how lucky we would be. <laughs> well, me at 15, I kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's was... because you're only, what, 23? <laughs> yeah. A little older, but, you know, we already had Spider-Man. Like, the that's first one came out. I was like, okay, we're going somewhere here. Uh, Iron Man started coming out. It was, it was, it was, it was a good. See, I was I was out of college already by the first time the first Spider-Man came out, the first X-Men. I was, you know, already deep into corporate America building a career. So um, I had lived through a lifetime of virtually no geekdom at the level that we started getting it. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, we had Superman the movie in 78. Mm -hmm which was epic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we had Batman 89. Mm -hmm. But other than that, and uh, the TV shows, Wonder Woman, Batman 66, and uh, uh, um, Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. There was, and and those were like, you got to think about this. As much as Adam West Batman has shaped pop culture, it was only on for three seasons and mm. and like the original star trek it hopped to different networks and unlike the original star trek 
most of the episodes were made up on set as they went along. Really? Improv. Yeah, great, great interview with Burgess Meredith. He he talks about how they would come to the set with no script, and they would just make it up as they went. You know, speaking of villains in that series, Batman, first of all, to set up a little bit of expectations from this point forward, Batman was my one comic fandom lifelong. So oh. as a little kid, I would watch the old, you know, the old show that we're talking about. And then in the 90s or late 80s, early 90s, I got more curious when the movie came out in 89. I wanted to go read up, go backward and read up. So I read a lot of the, you know, the, the big volumes, get myself kind of mm-hmm. educated. <clears throat> I probably fell off somewhere before Azrael, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And then didn't ever really come back, but I paid attention. Uh, I think the biggest character or the biggest story arc that I remember at the end of my active participation in the comics was the Tim Drake Robin arc arrival of him. And then I kind of stayed out of it until the newer movies started to come out, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy and all. And then I started going back to like, look up, okay, what was this? What was this? What's the reference here? And I haven't read again like I did back then, but I've I've gotten rekindled. Anyway, that said, I was an entire, uh, let's see, you're PG-13, so I can say I was an entire grown-ass man <laughs> before I realized that Cesar Romero had a mustache. <laughs> I just thought it was like bad old makeup, you know, like it took HD to actually clue me in, you know, and, and, and better modern photographs of characters on the set before I realized, Oh, wow. Like when I was a kid, I just thought it was just like this funky kind of cakey and you couldn't tell on a old tube TV. Well, I didn't realize that he had a mustache until I was an adult too, because I never noticed anything weird in the TV episodes. Mm-hmm. It never looked odd to me. And um, then when I, same thing, when I realized I was, what? Now I can't, <laughs> now I can't not, can't not see it anymore. Yep. But right. um, yeah, th- that, that was, that was a miraculous thing. And then, you know, so 1989, it kicks off this whole new, well, it was actually kind of a false start for superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that, you know, we were going to have this whole big renaissance thing. We had the follow-up with uh, Dick Tracy, which bombed in the box office. Dark Man, which bombed in the box office. Uh, Billy Zane did The Phantom, which <sighs> One of my bombed favorites. in the box mm-hmm. office. And I love that movie. Um, Disney did The Rocketeer, which Mm -hmm. bombed in the box office. And for all of the coolness of Batman 1989, it it never sparked what Iron Man did Mm -hmm. in 2008. But we did get the Batman animated series from Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers, Mm -hmm. which most people consider the greatest Saturday morning cartoon series of all time. Hold on now. <laughs> Hold on. I didn't say I did. I said a lot of people do. It's a reasonable it's statement to top, at least flesh top out. five. Definitely top five. Definitely top five. Maybe top three. Maybe top three. For, Saturday for me, morning though, I, I remember it as an afternoon thing. When did it? 
It originally debuted as a Saturday morning okay. show, and then okay. immediately it, it went into syndication uh, as an after-school thing. Um, it was an iconic uh, representation, and and it would become something to which we would compare everything. Yes, in Batman. Yeah, not unlike the X Men. I think they both hold the same position in the respective sides of the of the bicameral comic uh, conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. in the Marvel world, X Men is the bar. For animated series in the DC world, Batman. Maybe before that, it was Super Friends in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, well, yeah, Super Friends was was a classic, and and I have very fond memories of it. And we will be reviewing Super Friends at some point um, coming up on on the Saturday morning show. But uh, for me, the um, the best Batman animated series was the same title as this movie, The Batman. And mm. it was made by a studio, the same studio that did Jackie Chan Adventures. What do you know about Jackie Chan Adventures, John Piker? <laughs> I'm a fan. I love that show. What do you know about Jackie Chan Adventures? People sleep on that show. That's one of the one, one of the most, I think, underrated shows that had a nice plot had a good storyline it literally could could have went on forever because of what it kind of represented it was like chinese zodiac okay now you can learn about chinese zodiac you have a little background about that then i I think the child kid's name was jade and she was like okay she could run the mantle after the grandfather it was like a whole thing that was when jackie chan was like huge but yeah sorry People people always never talk about Jackie Chan Adventures, and that's one of the top. But go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, John Pika. Go ahead. They go ahead. they also did a series of um, oh, what was the name of it? Um, they were like not Lucha. They, they yeah, did do a Lucha Lucha. Lucha. Just Lucha Lucha. Yeah, they did that, but they did another one with this um, this bald yellow shaolin monk kid and like oh um and... shaolin shaolin adventures yeah shaolin shaolin uh shaolin showdown yeah yeah that was a great series too those were great those were great but we are here to talk about <laughs> this movie the batman and uh i went and saw it sunday drew when did you see it i saw it tuesday okay and lucas you've seen it twice now yeah, and I had to wait a little because um, we had a family uh, trip out of town to Vermont on the day, like we were flying when I would have normally been at the theater to see it mm. um, on Thursday, it came, the day it came out. And what was hilarious was the whole time we're on this trip, we're, we're you know, we landed in New Hampshire and drove a couple hours over to uh, Burlington, well, we involved Burlington, but we were in Stowe, Vermont in all these neat towns and every one of them has an old theater and every single theater in big freaking letters, the Batman just reminding me everywhere we went for four days straight. Like, I know I'm not getting to see the Batman. And, I, and, I understand and I'm not getting to see it. You it, didn't go see it in one of those old had I known, theaters. Awesome. Had I known that would happen to us, I would have scheduled it into the mix, but uh, it wasn't in the cards, but my birthday was the ninth, and I went to see it that night as a birthday thing. Uh, regular theater, my my go to theater has the the real high quality, nice place. Then again, I saw it Monday evening in IMAX because in my membership with this chain, it's all included. There's no extra price. And I was telling Johnny before we got on the air, 
I have now reconfirmed that IMAX would be a total waste of money had I paid extra for it. <laughs> Carlin Stewart is uh, making some comments here. Star Blazers was our anime. And then Classic. he said, left out Saturday morning Super Friends. No, we didn't. We mentioned it. And we're <laughs> we gonna... got there. <laughs> and uh, Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer's body would have been awesome. That's, uh, I don't know. So what you're saying is you just wanted Keaton nips. Hmm. Right? Would the nips have changed if a different person? It's a hmm. good question because they were just basic nips. Hmm. You know, they they weren't particularly. I've always wanted to go back and see if they were two different sizes because they say <laughs> you got to measure it's like girth and weight. It's a lot of things. Now we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial here in a moment. What? Uh, but uh, the 1966 Riddler, as Carlin Stewart brings up. Um, which is appropriate because in Batman Forever, which you loved, Drew, Jim Carrey played the Riddler, and he was basically doing his impersonation of Frank Gorshin, who I believe Frank Gorshin, the 1966 Riddler, is the gold standard by which all other Riddlers will ever be measured. Um, okay, here's a, here's a contention to that. Um, Gotham, Enigma. Oh yeah, Gotham. Um, J- um, Riddler is, I think, is the quintessential like thinker, kind of torn, multiple personalities. I think he embodies what the Riddler's personality should be. I think, as far as like the goofy and charismatic and kind of like outlandish kind of characters, you would see in exactly what you were saying, the Batman. Um, from those morning shows, that's what hmm. um, 1966 um, Riddler and I think what Jim Carrey was doing. Jim Carrey was, I, I just say, for, he's one of my comic heroes. And I feel like when he hit that Riddler during the whole time, I was like, mm, mm, on screen, I was like, yes, 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 he's hitting it, hitting everything, the darkness, but hmm. then the like the charismatic, and then the, of course, the, the riddles was awesome. But, I, but let's go back to the Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, Carlin says, Batman animated, his daughter Ginger loves it. And he says, Frank Gorshin would have kicked Jim Carrey's butt for that portrayal. (laughs) I don't know. I think he would have been flattered. I I think it was a great um, homage to what Frank Gorshin did. As opposed to this movie, where the Riddler is a very, very twisted, very dark, disturbing character. And before Very we, different. Before we talk about that character, I do want to talk about uh, Robert Pattinson as the Batman. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I went into this a little bit skeptical, I think, as a lot of fans did. Mm-hmm. And um, I came out really a believer. Um, I thought he was excellent as Batman. Um, I wasn't wild about the emo Bruce Wayne so much. Um, You know, I prefer um, more of a dashing, debonair, playboy Bruce Wayne. And and from that perspective, I actually think George Clooney was the best choice for Bruce Wayne. Mm. But um, as Batman, man, I thought he nailed it. And I, I really... I liked the intensity he had. The one thing that irritated me a little bit 
was that this Batman did everything in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> I, I, I get that that was for dramatic effect and to build the intensity and create this tension. But I was like, just take the dang mask off already. You know, get to it, get to solving the crime. I really liked him. I thought he was far superior to Christian Bale. But, oh, dude, far superior to Christian Bale. But, My word. But, but, um, from a, um, from kind of a, uh, just a, a sentimental point There's of view. <laughs> Michael Keaton is still my sentimental favorite Batman. What did you guys think about Robert Pattinson? Man, I was pessimistic like you. So I had stages of pessimism. Uh, stage one was the announcement before I had seen Tenet. Mm, and I was okay. like, what? That guy? The suit's going to wear him from one side of Gotham to the other. Then I saw Tenet. And then I realized, oh, oh, a career happened after mm-hmm. Twilight. Mm-hmm. This guy's legit. Okay. All right. I have some, some hope, but he's still going to need to eat like nothing but steaks and beans and go to the gym 32 hours a day. Um, so... I was cautious, but I was optimistic by that point. And then I, like you, I was, I was into it. I, I, I am a believer, as you said. Uh, I think it worked really well. I actually watched an interview with him about that conduct, that slow-moving thing. And uh, I forgot. I think it's Vanity Fair, or one of them that does YouTube videos, a little short interview where he talks about taking it from the approach of like a witch doctor, uh, like a spiritualistic kind of like the way he put it was I'm in this room with all these cops and I'm trying to get them to trust me, but I'm trying not to freak them out, but I'm carrying this kind of like motif of a seer. It's not the word he used in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way he put it really made it make sense. It's like he tried to figure out how do you exist among these cops? And what he said was I came up with the solution that, I should just be more of a wraith. I should float through the room. And I thought that was an interesting take. He talks about some of his choices. In fact, he made the choice to come out of the hallway in the beginning. And the guy says, who are you? He made the choice that he should beat the living crap out of him first. Then look down at his basically corpse and say, I'm vengeance. So that was not even a director choice. The the script called for it as the butt kicking line, but he decided it should go the other way that he would be in that place. And as far as the emo thing goes, I think first of all, they're hitting right across the target of who's going to see this movie. It's going to be the younger end of Gen X like me. Uh, I mean, full Gen X to be fair, like all of us, Johnny are going to be into it, but I think the way they really want to score the hit is the younger Gen X, Gen Y, older Z, definitely the emo crowd that gets it. But at the same time, this is year two. Yeah. If you think about Christian Bale's portrayal, when he was younger, he was also in a messy, long hair in his face, resenting everything kind of place. I think he's going to learn the mask of Bruce Wayne and separate these identities more and more 
as his representation of this character comes along through what I would assume will be multiple sequels. Yeah, yeah. Drew, your thoughts, Robert Pattinson as Batman Bruce Wayne. So I am not a fan of the Twilight movies at all. So I, I, I as well came into this movie really angry <laughs> at the <laughs> at the choice. But I think he did, and I had to really think. I thought more of it as a year one instead of a year two. I said, let me just put on the i my glasses as he's just starting, right? So he's fresh out of off of his parents kind of passing away, and now he's handed the keys to Gotham. So a lot of the, the brooding and things that he were doing was really about grief of how he's dealing with grief and how he's dealing with sorrow, how he's dealing with trying to live up to the responsibilities that he's now taken on. So I think he did a good job on just like eye movement or looking at, like he was looking at that kid. He, he saw himself in that child. And I was like, okay, that's, that was real good. Like drama, dramatic, like acting. Um, I think that, Again, he hasn't. He was a good Batman, but he wasn't a good Bruce Wayne. And to you guys' points, I think that that's what he needs to learn along the way. And I think that's what he's going to show is that okay, now that I'm Batman, I have to be Bruce Wayne as well to conduct my detective, you know, uh, detective foresight and all that good stuff. So I really liked it. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't know. I, I it was a good taste taste saverer from ben affleck and i was like okay ben affleck couldn't do this mm-hmm. and he he did it the correct way so i was i gave him a chance and i loved it i, I really loved this I, I i'm not gonna hold my bets i really loved this movie i was i enjoyed every part of it and i'm not a batman dc person and i was i was on the edge of my seat <laughs> well i think about the suit that's that's something that i spent an inordinately large amount of time in my second viewing especially since it was imax and it was enormous, and I could look at details. Um, you know, the, the movie doesn't appear to have any IMAX cuts in it, like Dark Knight. Uh, I, I forgot if all of them. Definitely the 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 Joker installment yeah. had the two mm-hmm. big IMAX yep. scenes: the opening yep. bank robbery and the trailer flip, which still aren't worth the price for these tiny suburban IMAXs, <laughs> in my opinion. But this one, I there, I didn't notice anything. It was letterbox the whole time. Yep. I don't really know why, other than more clarity of the sound, but that's why you just don't go to crappy theaters. But I got to stare at the suit a lot and I really appreciate, and I pulled it up just to see, like I pulled up a figurine that has good detail just so I could like see it. The whatever's going on on the gauntlets, the little mm-hmm. spines or arrows or whatever yeah. those are. And then they were if, like you, if you look at his, bolts. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. But he never used them. No, it's like a total mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, but the belt itself, I thought, was fascinating. Yes. Everything about this suit is plausible. The the Dark Knight trilogy does a good job with plausible in a science fiction mm-hmm. bubble. Like yep. you'd still have to have Lucius Fox and all the the operation behind you to get those things. This one was like. This guy could could pull this off in the train station under Wayne Tower exactly. with just the help of an old British. Uh, like he went agent. to the army. Well, he went to the army supply store and was just like, "Okay, yeah. let's paint this black." The the belt I really thought was an interesting departure from all the previous typical. You know, the utility belt was always a thing, and it was always very polished. This has 
police style pockets, little woven leather pockets, and they they stick out. It's inconsistent. The one side has different pockets than the other. It's like it was put together for utilitarian purposes out of stuff that was already mm-hmm. tactical black. It's like you know, there's no spray painting of the stuff mm-hmm. with the, you know. It, it's just there and i don't well, know i still he, don't know what that big pouch was on yeah his thigh. the big pouch on his thigh that that, <laughs> that stuff. probably uh carried like the the rope for the the grappling hook and all of that that's yeah. probably in that yeah. big pouch because yep. that's not fitting in a little pouch on the belt right right one of the things i loved was the bat emblem uh which yeah. You know, they didn't explain it in the in the movie, but in the backstory, that is actually made from two pieces, two halves of a gun. And in yeah. the backstory, it's supposed to be the gun that killed his parents. Oh, um, yeah. Um, well, but, that's cool. But I loved that the emblem was a tool. Yeah. And a weapon, and it it had function as well. And I really loved that this was uh, like composite armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a very almost almost a Mandalorian feeling to yes. it. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. In that you know it was functional, it was modular, and uh, man, it withstood machine gun fire, which mm-hmm. you really got the sense of Batman's thinking his you know his intelligence but also his toughness at the same time hey, nobody and ever shoots mask. him in the chin <laughs> yeah no one shoots him in the face i don't know oh. what that's all well about. actually i that's... think he does take he, he uh, just went right one, here one little ding right right happens here. here i think yeah i think it does. towards the end right in the uh multi-riddler showdown on top of the jumbotron um that i think somebody gets a shot in because there's a little dent or a ding Mm-hmm. Um, but I did appreciate this mask for having these defined spaces that didn't appear to be there as a nod to Adam West eyebrows mm. or scowly Batman forehead or none of those. It seemed like there were raised points in the mask. Yeah, there yep. you go. It seems like it's there where punches would land. Yes. And it's almost like a superstructure support or a substructure support. And then I love the fact that the nose appears to have been an afterthought. Like this, yeah, it's so this mask came together in pieces and the nose is kind of grafted in there as needed. And it's probably like a steel plate or something. Because number one thing you don't want to get is punched in the temples. And as you can see, it's divoted. On the yeah. sides, and it's like, okay, punch me here. I, you're you're going to get hurt more than I am. Yeah. One of the things I loved was the collar on on the cape. Mm-hmm. I love that. I thought that was just such a neat uh, detail, and um, yeah, I just I love that. You know, be good. You know, this would be good. Um, I don't know if you saw this installment of Batman Knights. Like he's he's kind of like in a he's like a a knight in um eight rural Japan, mm-hmm. um like that would be a good version of that. Like if he had like a full armor and then looks like a samurai sword. That's just, this is me. <laughs> a nice samurai sword coming up back. Yeah, and you know I, the other thing I liked about this was that you know Robert Pattinson has said in interviews 
that he refused to bulk up and train. I mean, hmm. he he's in shape, but they originally wanted him to add muscle and do the Chris Hemsworth workout. And he said, yeah, right. no, I'm not going to do that. And I like that he is thin. He is, you know, he, he has that sleekness to him, even with the armor on. And to your point, uh, Lucas, he very much had that wraith-like, mm-hmm. you know, physicality. A wraith mm-hmm. is a good description. Well, and I think he, I don't know how tall he really is, but I think he he still managed to impose. And another thing I found fascinating, and this is, this is a little bit suit, but also characterization and, and production choices. This is the first movie where we've ever had a focus on Batman's footsteps. I never remember having Batman's footsteps be a piece of the of the threat of Batman. Uh, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there was an obscure thing I didn't see, one of the many DC films, but I never remember anything giving us a cue of the boots. You could hear the cape flutter. You might hear bats chirp somewhere. You might hear a lot of warnings, but I've never experienced Batman lore where the clunk and almost spur-like jingle of the armor was part of the terror delivered in his presence and it happens like at least twice maybe three times in the movie it's a focal point of the of the foley well and, and you, if you remember good. when before even that when criminals saw the bat signal <laughs> yep right they started looking in the shadows mm-hmm. and and they're like okay we're we're done here cuz he could be right there we're uh-huh. gone. And yeah. that was that was a neat uh, aspect of this, too, that, that I really liked. Um, one thing we didn't mention was, you know, his methodical movements were also part of his detective skills. You know, mm-hmm. he's taking in the room, and we find out later that his contacts are yes. cameras, which I thought was great because, again, that could be real. It, with today's mm-hmm. technology... That that's a possibility. That's a thing. And so we had the whole 1930s, as Carlin says, detective film noir mixed with the current tech. And it really made, you know, Gotham, the gritty sister city to uh, shiny metropolis. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. that, that's definitely a thing. This is the darkest treatment, I think, so far. And Gotham itself as a series was pretty dark. Yeah. And I thought. You know they had they had notched it like the Nolan films did dark Gotham series notched it up to a little more dark. This one really accomplished just a whole motif of dark brooding decay because well, yes. it's raining all the time. Yeah, it yeah. it was raining in every single scene, kind of like in Blade Runner, and <laughs> and Blade Runner was a you know a dystopian future. Yeah. So you know was this. A similar situation or is it just you know in a bad climate zone that it's always dark and always raining yeah yeah now i don't want to jump uh, out of sequence but since i brought the suit up i feel like i have to bring up the car do we have to talk my, about it it's my favorite batmobile <laughs> really okay oh, yeah. you well you know why yeah it, it was that total retro muscle car mm-hmm thing going on i loved it i want that but i've never wanted a batmobile before this one 
I could drive in. I've liked a lot of them. This one I thought was perfectly in keeping with the realism at hand. Yes. It's legitimately a vehicle that he could have gone and hobbled together and ripped Modified. basically the whole trunk out to install a rocket engine that you see him working on sequence by sequence throughout little shots in the film. And when he finally whips the thing out, you can tell it's kind of one of the first experiences. Like yep. he doesn't do it perfectly, but he also knows that it's terrifying and he uses it as a tool. And then it's another opportunity for the sound in this film to just mm -hmm. shine. I'm going to be real, real pissed the next round of awards next year. If this movie can't get some kind of sound yeah, uh, that, nominations, that growl, that growl when the car starts was, I was like, okay, I know why they did this. I know exactly <laughs> what it is. I wasn't a fan of the car when I first saw like the shots and everything like that. But when that, that growl, that first, I was like, okay. Cause now to your, to your point, the footsteps were a, like a part of the, the scariness or the broodingness or the fear that the villains now he has the car that they're they're scared of now too so when they heard that it was like oh shoot we got to get the heck out of here because mm -hmm. <laughs> now batman's coming with a muscle car that could just run you over and it's perfect too because when you think of muscle car you think of invulnerability so mm -hmm. it could take a shot and keep on pushing so i i, I was not a fan when I first saw it, but again, like like this whole movie, I am a fan now. I want to know what the Penguin's car was because there was a ridiculous amount. I'm of, saying Rolls Royce. I, I couldn't tell, and I kept squinting and looking. I, I got to know because there's a certain amount of, of disbelief that I was unable to suspend after a while. It's like, nah. <laughs> See, I thought it was a Honda Civic. It wasn't that low end, but... It's like it is, you're on the highway. They're, when they're on the highway, it's like, okay, no, no. He should have overtaken him easily at this point. I get that he's probably just playing with him. But uh, I did well, appreciate, you know, the, the total chaos of it. And the fact that it wasn't telegraphed. In a lot of cases, you see superheroes get out of stuff with a painfully presented, like that ramp that shows up just in time for him. Oh, to my goodness. That, that like, was... In so many superhero stories that would have fallen off the back of the truck six miles ago and be dragging the pavement. And you would have known extra for sure that it was there. So you'd know that that's, but in this, it's like there's chaos and this thing just barely falls down and he spots it and goes for it. And I thought that was, you know, it was that, you know, deus ex chaos that superheroes tend to enjoy, but it wasn't like, here's a few beats for you to get it. It's like, wait, where, what? Oh, a ramp fell. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, like it was, more real life. Yeah, and Carlin says uh, that car chase scene was so flat out awesome. It was good. <laughs> it was really good. Um, and and you mentioned something there, Lucas, about superhero movies. Uh, I didn't think this was a superhero movie. Hmm. This was a hmm. detective movie. This was a, a a police procedure movie with one of the with the detective just so happens to have this persona. Uh, a, a vigilante persona, but yeah. it was a detective film. I thought so. Well, too. and in that vein, I really liked the pair of uh, Batman and Gordon in this. I really felt like they they didn't have to go into a lot of depth to build a good pair of guys. And that scene where they're going into the uh, 
I forgot what building that the uh, the orphanage. And he's like, you know, no guns. No, that's your thing. <laughs> he just straight up, no, no, I'm, I've got the gun and it's staying. <laughs> I really loved this Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. I really thought he was the most Jim Gordon, Jim Gordon that we've seen in a Batman movie. Yeah. I just felt like the casting was perfect, that he acted it perfectly. Um, of all the Jim Gordons I've seen, he stood head and shoulders above the rest. For me. I pay money for Jeffrey Wright to read me like a Claire's boutique catalog. I mean, I really don't. It doesn't matter what he says. Every word the man says, I'm just like, uh-huh. Say more. <laughs> Say more things. Do more stuff. Well, if we're going to talk about that kind of persona, Zoe Kravitz. Oof. I have a note here that says I need more um cat woman transform um Zoe Kravitz trans turning into cat woman. That little scene when oh, she was boy. getting yeah. ready to be catwoman. They did just the right balance of sexy with real and practical. I think she corrected any missteps of the Halle Berry attempt. Which well, now, now wait, let's wait, not wait, wait, blame wait. Halle Berry was we all cannot, about the yeah. movie production. It, and, what, and yeah, Halle Berry dog. was great. Halle Berry was great. The was script. She? Oh, she was really good. Listen, if you just isolate her performance from the story, phenomenal. And and of course, I have to say that because you know she's my girlfriend. But <laughs> I, I I do have to say that you know we've seen a lot of Catwomen mm-hmm. in the Batman mythos on TV. You know, three different ones on the '66 series. Uh, we saw Michelle Pfeiffer. We've seen Anne Hathaway, and now we and we've seen Halle Berry, and now we see um, uh, Zoe Kravitz. And this Catwoman was still sentimental favorite for me is Michelle Pfeiffer, um, mm-hmm. but for different reasons. Uh, but this Catwoman was the closest to the contemporary comics iteration of Catwoman. This is one of the things that DC does really well is that when you see a movie, if if you see this movie and you're like, oh, I want to read more Catwoman and you go pick up the current run of Catwoman, she's going to look exactly like she looks on screen, mm. which I think is smart. Uh, Marvel doesn't do that. And it's really hurt their sales. Um, DC has really picked up on this and they've, they've gone to great lengths to have their comics mirror the movies because so many people are coming from that. You know, there are far more people watching the movies than there Mm -hmm. are reading comics. The average comic sells about 35,000 copies a month. That's not enough people to make a hit movie. So, you know, when, when they're coming from the movie experience to the comics, they need to see something that they recognize. And that's that I really like that they did that with, with this iteration of Catwoman. And plus Zoe Kravitz. Oh, yeah. Yep. She sets a lot of bars. And I meant that clean way. But uh, I didn't. <laughs> is she the? Is, is, have we seen an animated African American Catwoman? Because she would be the yes. third, right, or fourth? If, she if there's an animated. there's an animated one. I 
think it was one in Batman the Brave and the Bold, but okay. But we don't, I don't know if anybody counts that one. <laughs> well, okay. And so Ur- just, Ursula Ursula I, Andress was was the first Black Catwoman, mm-hmm. and um, I forget. she was great. Eartha Kitt, yeah. Eartha Kitt. What did I say? Ur- I said <laughs> Ursula Andress. I don't know why I said that. Uh, Eartha Kitt. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, she was fantastic. And uh, but since then, well, Barry. Halle Berry, right? Uh, and and now, yeah, the third. So the third. I think she doesn't like correct course, but she recenters mm-hmm. Catwoman, and especially the let's be real, like the other two were gimmicky in their own way. Like Mm -hmm. she's naturally accepted as who she is, where the Halle Berry thing was like, Oh, it's Halle Berry. And and it's a black cat. And then back in the sixties, it was like, Ooh, look how brave and special we are. Or playing to some stereotypes. Even this is the first truly natural, like, Oh, it just works. Yeah. Oh yeah. It and wasn't like a, a trying too hard or trying the wrong. And it works with the theme of the movie too, because if we're talking about year one, year two, Batman, even for her to have like almost like a stocking cap on her head, it was mm-hmm. kind of like a, a hat that she created into little ears and um, things like that was very, very centering of the whole story. I was like, okay, I they, they thought about every little detail with it. And again, more Zoe Kravis, get into the Batwoman suit. I would take a whole reel of that day in, day out, 30 minutes. I watched a two hour, three hour movie on that. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, everything about this movie, as we've said, felt like it could really happen. Exactly. You know, like when Batman jumps off the building, he zips up the base jumper yeah. suit. You know, it's not a cape that transforms magically into a glider. Right. Because again, he's got to be able to go get it, not have Lucius make it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and Catwoman felt very organic in that same way, and her motivation mm-hmm. was so good. Um, I, I really felt like she was the best motivated Catwoman that we've ever seen. You know, she's not just stealing because Kitty likes pretty things. She she was you know trying to get back at. Uh, Falcone, who's who's uh, slighted her, who's who's wronged her, and uh, I love that. What, what's that, Drew? Are you going to say it? Oh well, are we going? You already warned it? about spoilers. Okay, okay. Yeah, Where she wants to whack I... Daddy. We can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it in the clean way. Well, the death way, but still, you know, the murdering, the the mob way. The special. Yeah, I, I got I got in trouble for saying that one time. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> now there's a story there, Drew. I'll tell you one one day. I also really appreciated the fact that that the backstory made more sense because a lot of times, though, I will say I did like Anne Hathaway's take on like I'm I'm Catwoman to punish the rich. Yeah, because there's going to be an uprising of regular people, and and I want to be part of it, and that's cool. I like that, but um, I I think the the weaving into the mob story. This was this was as much a mob movie as the police movie in a in a flavored way. It wasn't like just steeped in it unless you count the, I'm sure one of the next people will talk about, you know, <laughs> unless you count Car- Colin Farrell playing Al Pacino playing the penguin. 
He, I, I liked him. I, I thought he was good. Maybe Robert De Niro. Maybe he's I, playing I, Robert De Niro. Playing I Frank. literally couldn't put my mind, my my finger on it. But you're right. It felt like Godfather, almost Goodfellas esque. Yes. Was Sasha? Was it Sasha Baron Cohen who was playing? Not Sasha Baron Cohen. Who I'm thinking? Um, Are you talking about Falcone? Falcone. Who was playing? What's his name? Um, that's uh, John Turturro. I yeah. cannot. Picture him other than from that movie with Adam Sandler, um, Don't Mess with the Zohan. I don't know why I can't like get that on my head, but when I saw my screen, I was like, Oh, this guy was in Don't Mess with the Zohan, but he, he didn't come through for me. I, I actually had to like look it up because I didn't realize that it was him. He was just enough, and he actually he's not as bad of an actor as the Transformers films would have you believe, no. and uh, he really like. I think he worked in the role. Um, you know, I would have liked maybe a little bit bigger guy. He seemed like kind of a wiry fella to have made it to the top of the mob. But I bought into it. And I bought into the Penguin thing. It's just like, I don't really know why they chose Colin Farrell. Like, yeah. they could have put almost any good actor in all of that and then told them, hey, do good fellas. Or maybe Down Big Boy little. from Dick Tracy a little bit, like you know. Every time I didn't he even did... realize it was Colin Farrell until just now. Oh, okay. I was eight there years old when I realized who that was. Yeah, really? like um, you know, it, 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 he takes so many pages out of the tropes, but it kind of works because of the tropes. Yes, like we all accept it because the Sopranos did it, and you know, uh, the new the the prequel movie I can't remember the name of. Uh, uh, Saints of Newark. Um, yep. You know, these tropes are always there. So, like, when a mobster gets, you know, the feeling that they're being slighted, they go, hey! And, you know, and, and he just does all those tropes. So, it, it's okay. But if they're going to carry that character forward, they're going to have to add... They're building death. a whole new series about him. So, they have all the time in the world, I guess. Oh, I didn't know that. So, I love... I love John Turturro as Carmine Falcone. And... Um, I, I've been a big fan of his for years since uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, that's a good one. And and you really see his range as an actor when you put those side by side. You know, don't look for the treasure. And then he's <laughs> Mr. Slick uh, Falcone. And I loved all the little you know, political backstabbings mm -hmm. within the mob. And I loved all of that. I, I thought that was wonderfully layered and it just added to that whole detective story. But the real thing that we need to talk about. Can we talk about it? Are we going to talk about it? Is the villain in this movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Riddler. Because I found him absolutely terrifying. And from this perspective, we've talked about how real this movie felt. The fact that you had this lunatic whack job on the dark web gathering a following who took action and showed up to pick people off with their rifles felt so real to me mm -hmm. in today's climate. Mm -hmm. And the director said that if he had known that some things were going to happen when they were originally making this movie... He would have changed it. He oh. would not have had that scene in the movie. Oh. Reminds me of very 10,620. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm glad he didn't uh, have that 
sequence of events occur because I would have lost a lot of respect for that choice because I'm big on being brave and sticking it out there. And I'm glad that he didn't make that change. Yeah. And I just, I just felt like, you know, that whole scenario felt so real to me and it felt so terrifying. Um, And, and my twisted mind, I'm thinking, I'm surprised this kind of scenario has not happened yet. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm in a big crowd, like in an event, I, I'm looking around at angles and shadows and, you know, thinking, you know, like, I, I can't believe we've never heard a story of some psychopath going into a haunted woods with a real chainsaw. Mm. And, you know, I just gave someone an idea. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But you're right about he came off as a grounded, believable freakazoid in a modern context. But he had all the flaws, like he's got the glasses on the outside of the mask, which is like, at first glance, it's laughable until you think about the fact that he's got such bullcrap going on in his life that for whatever reason, that's the only choice he has. Whether his eye condition prevents him from wearing contacts or he's too poor to do better than some cheap glasses, but like he's he's stuck with it and he's got this like totally jacked up like as you get to see more of him and you realize the saran wrap is going on and that the the mask is just a, a basic mask and you see him talking about it in the chat threads on on his uh, social where media where you can like, buy it and yeah you know. it's really fascinating yet at the same time inside once he's unwrapped so to speak he's the same kind of psycho nerd riddler that you really need him to be and he's so nuts that like he's glad that his plan is working. He's thrilled to be arrested. Yeah, you know, everything is going according to plan. He's got it all mapped out. And then when it doesn't work, he totally loses it. Mm-hmm. But in a in a weird psycho whiny way that really works. And I don't I don't think he'll stay the same way. I think he may lean into the nutty flippant thing given his new roommate Mm-hmm. at the end of the film well you know you mentioned the glasses <laughs> and i think he wore the glasses prominently not because he didn't have any other choice i think he was telegraphing who he really was he hmm. wanted to be caught that's what i'm thinking and 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 those were so distinctive that you know uh and and you know he he was carlin makes a great point he was brilliant, manipulative, twisted, and he used Batman as a tool. He really did. He mm-hmm. led Batman along by a nose ring yep. until it was too late. Um, but he wanted to be caught because he wanted to be a martyr because he knew when he was arrested in, in the way that he was, his followers yep. would see him in, in that martyrdom role yeah. and take up his cause even more uh with even more vigor, I can say his the duct tape budget in this movie is astronomical. <laughs> astronomical. I was like, there's so much duct tape. It really like, and I really thought about it like connection between Saw and it. I like the. I'm a. I like sick twisted things. Okay, let's just put that out there, right? I like a good <laughs> like killing spree, things like that. So just humor me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> So the ideas that he had on how to torture these people was mm. brilliant, brilliant, because there was no way there was going to get out. 
He can get his message to who he needs to get his message to. And it's always time to be correct at this specific moment. The best part I love of the movie is when he's like, Batman's in his cell. He's like, oh, you haven't figured it out yet? I, I thought you I thought you were smarter. Then I, you were smarter than um, you're not as smart as I thought you were. Right. I was like, I was like, dang, he literally to to what you were saying, his point, he wanted to get caught, and you're messing up his plans by not being smart. And he, he, he disses him so hard in that. And then the way that played, I, you know, I saw it, and then I saw a couple of YouTubers review it, and then I went back and saw it again, and I'm still a hundred percent on board with the idea that they play that scene with just the right ambiguity where there's always a percentage of your curiosity. If he knows who Batman yes. is like the, the dialogue is structured in a way that you realize, Oh, okay. He was just saying it about his next target, but then is there a little part of him that maybe thinks he has it figured mm-hmm. out and he keeps wanting to poke him. And then I when- think that was for us. Maybe, yeah. I I think that was for us to lead us down that path, and I liked that they didn't go there. I like that. But Batman does stay back in the back of the room in the shadow, and he does tell the cops, like this, or he tells Gordon, this is the end of the Batman. He's pretty sure he's been found out. He thinks he has been. He doesn't think he has been. We, We think he has been. You know, Bruce thinks he has been. But then when we find out, oh, the Riddler doesn't really know. Right. That was more satisfying to me than Bruce Wayne having to figure out how to deal with this problem. Yeah, yeah. And they lifted a little bit of a vibe of of hush by giving mm-hmm. him a orphan peer watched you my life my whole life kind of angle. It gives it a little tiny touch of of the hush thing without having to be that. And on first viewing, I thought, eh, you know, they could have just as well had it as Hush or an owl. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, then I saw it again and decided, no, I can I can dig this take on it, especially considering that there might be an evolution of his his identity to some extent. Now, I hope when they do a sequel and they've already greenlit a sequel that they don't go down the route of bringing in the Joker. I think it's going to be killing joke. It's just it's going to happen. So you just get ready. No, no, no. I hope no. I hope not. Oh, I don't. What I would rather see. That's a lot of casting. (laughs) I would rather see these Riddler acolytes kind of evolve and become the Court of Owls. Hmm. I think Court of Owls is going to be a better storyline for this Batman. Um, and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, go read some of the Court of Owls stuff. It's recent material, uh, which falls in line with the recent aesthetics and the, the contemporary iteration of Catwoman. Um, so, uh, and Carlin Stewart says that Arkham Asylum was high ground and safe. So his arrest keeps him safe from the yeah. flooding. I, I do have to say, I was a little bit over the let's blow up Gotham, let's destroy Gotham, let's, you know, cut off Gotham from the rest of the world, let's flood Gotham trope. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's been done quite a bit, but... I was today years old when I found out that Arkham was named after a prominent person in Gotham. I did not know that. So Nor Arkham did was, I until this movie. I was like, well, 
Wow. I think that might have been added into this I story. Think so. Okay, okay, it's nice. But it nice. works, and it was a it was an empty space. I love when people uh, go back and add lore in a in a gap. And I don't know; I could be wrong, but I don't think anyone's ever addressed any of that. And having the maiden name family tree thing play in with the Waynes, it kind of works. And what it also does is it plays to what we all experience again in real life. I mean, look at, you know, back in Nashville, you've got Frists and other families that are powerful and political and you're kind of tired of hearing their name on everything. And then up here in Grand Rapids, we've got Van Andels and DeVosses and you're kind of tired of hearing about all that being the basis of everything. Uh, and I forgot where you're located, Drew, but I'm sure Charlotte. you Charlotte bull crap going on. Oh, Charlotte. Yeah. So you got some, old plantation powerful fucking mm-hmm. oh freaking <laughs> you get one <laughs> we we push my plantation button and i can't control it. um so you know i think it's 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 relevant cuz we mm-hmm. all live in these cities where there's this old money old power old yes. money so having that tie in i think that really worked then, i really wanted to know more about that story honestly when i heard that because i'm like okay was it supposed to just be that the institution supposed to be for helping people and then it turned into the criminally insane like there's a whole there's a whole still backstory yeah. to that that i want to know well it feeds into batman's own bruce wayne's own mental illness yeah mm-hmm. um so and that's a whole nother topic for another time. Well, and that's very much more acceptable. Um, you know, we we have much more knowledge and acceptance now that that's the kind of stuff that that sticks around and goes generationally. Like it's it's easier to write that into a film now. Twenty years yeah. ago, you know, somebody would have been mad at you. Well, just because his granny was crazy doesn't mean he's crazy. Well, yeah, now we kind of know that it might. <laughs> We don't say crazy. Oh, right. Yeah. We there, don't there talk about Bruno. No, oh, no, don't. no. I'm being Bruno for Halloween, by the way. That's that's, that's epic. That's yeah. epic. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, so guys, we're already at an hour, and um, we could talk about this probably all night. But, um, you know, I thought, final thoughts, I thought this film was the superior DCEU film to mm. date. I think it sets a high bar for everything else that is to come after. For me, it's kind of like the um, Captain America, the Winter Soldier of the DCEU universe. Now, whether this Batman is in-universe or not remains to be seen, because we are getting Michael Keaton back in the Flash movie. But, um, you know, I I thought this set a really high bar because this wasn't just a superhero movie. It, it was a, it was a true compelling drama. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's a lot to be said when it comes time for award seasons for this film. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And uh, we, we mentioned a lot of actors by name. Paul Dano is the, is the Riddler in this. And, mm-hmm. and I had never paid a lot of attention until I went back to look like, what else has he done? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I got to give a shout out to Andy Serkis's uh, portrayal of Alfred. Also, just glad to see actual Andy Serkis, you know, his physical form taking 
his due now in these various films. It's great. And he's, he's a good actor and uh, it's great to see him back out. And the last little shout out is the score. I can't quit listening to this score. Uh, that Sonata that's included in the original soundtrack score recording. It's a 12 minute piano Sonata of all the music in the whole film. It's so good. It plays in the credits uh, in the theater and then this is probably arguably the best use of Nirvana music that I've seen in the past 20 years. Did did anyone feel like the main Batman theme sounded a lot like the Imperial March, Darth Vader's theme? A thousand percent. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Why do you think they did that? Hmm. I don't know. I thought it was just... I didn't think it was... Uh... That wasn't coincidental. There was nothing coincidental in this movie. Do you think because he's the Dark Knight, you just want to tie him to Darth Vader some way? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, though. Uh, Giancino has done so many nerd <laughs> scores. Like, I'm trying to find his his lineup. Do you think like, maybe it's because the uh, there's there's debate among Star Wars fans about whether Darth Vader is a villain or a hero? Hmm. Um, and it all depends on your perspective, right? Mm-hmm. He's a hero of the Empire, but to the Rebellion, he's a villain. And so is Batman kind of in that same vein? But technically, he killed a bunch of Padawans, too, and for no reason. So <laughs> we can't, I can't, he's, he is a villain. But I understand what you're saying. It's all about perspective, right? Many of the truths that we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. I think the other side of of looking at that is, as a composer, uh, Giancino is probably not going to succeed in in keeping his wires uncrossed. I mean, if you go down the list, the Jurassic Worlds, the Batman, Spider-Man, Star Trek, Star Wars, Incredibles... I don't think this guy can sound like he's not ripping off something because he's spread across so many of these franchises that he's he's out of original sounds to make. Well, We've all heard all of the sounds that he can come up when with. I, when I think about the incredible sounds, sounds very similar to that Spider-Man sound as well. Like, like, yep. like yep. that. Well, and, and I, I never felt like it was a rip-off or a, right. a jip. I felt like it was a very tongue-in-cheek mm. homage. It could be. Yeah. You know, so, Drew, your final thoughts final, on the Batman. Final, final thoughts. I really love this movie. Um, wasn't went in very pessimistic. Came out very optimistic. Um, I think that uh, Patterson did a good job. Again, Zoe Kravitz mm, eat you for lunch. <laughs> Delicious. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, and I think the Riddler is a good start to a very maniacal villain in the spot in the uh, excuse me Batman universe. So instead of it being more of a trope of like okay these people are like mad now they're like they're co- creating chaos. So I would love to see what this world's Batman does, and I hope you know because Flash is my favorite DC character. I hope he brings um, maybe this Batman. We see cross worlds. So we see different versions of the Riddler. Um, And uh, yeah, so I I really liked it. I think that, I don't think it's going to be canon with the current DC 
um, universe, but I think it's a good start to um, a Batman franchise that's a little darker, a little bit more Law and Order SVU. <laughs> there you but go. Tied with the mob. <laughs> and and I like what you said about the maniacal. I think he can take that spot, and maybe that the, the the Joker tease that we received is more about the advice that's being put in his head, and mm-hmm. we don't actually see that Joker come to fruition. Though if we did, he could probably pull it off. Um, I forget the actor's name. It's the the guy that's uh, in uh, Eternals. Um, uh, he plays the guy with the mind control power. Oh, Druig. Yeah, yeah, him. Uh, that's the actor that that did that shot, and so he could pull it off. But I don't think they need to, and they've made no commitment. They said, "Hey, just because he's in that scene doesn't mean we're going to use him," um, mm. which is, you know, that's perfectly fine. And I think you're right about this darker thing. And I'm hoping that DC is developing a theme with the giant '70s Tarantino style title that takes over the whole screen as an indicator that you're watching what should just be branded DC black for all of us that are true believers Um, because Joker did it giant letters. And now Batman has done it. And I hope that the next time they make another dark DC film, they keep that motif to tell us the next one is black Adam, isn't it? Yeah. But I don't think it's going to be as dark as this movie. I think it's more Shazam light. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Shazam dark. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) We shall see. We shall see. Well, guys, thank you guys so much for uh, joining me tonight and uh, having this conversation. It's always a lot of fun. And thank bef- you. <laughs> before we leave, I got to remind our viewers that we are sponsored by Loot Crate. Visit www.lootcrate.com. And I know I just rankled Lucas's feathers by using the triple W, uh, but use promo code Serial10 and take 10% off. And we are, of course, part of the Serial Box Network, along with some other great shows. Check it out at SerialBoxNetwork.com. And with that, guys, that's it. That's all we got. It's all the time we have. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for watching and commenting. Continue to comment. And make sure if you like the show, tell two, three hundred of your closest friends and family to come join the fun. And until the next time, we'll catch you on the flip side.